hello. I am John of the Maryland Johns, of which there is me. Hello, I am Zoliver Nelson Jr. of the Nelson Jr.'s Oliviers, of which there is me. Guys, I can't follow that up. I can't I can't do it. We can't do the podcast now. <laughs> Good night. Good night, everyone. Uh, this is, this is, I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords. Uh, the um, you, you see, and now I'm all flummoxed. <laughs> <laughs> We've done it. High five. <laughs> I am definitely high-fiving you from six feet away. The only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Oh, that's a great idea. Like a, like a selfie stick with a hand at the end of it. Oof. Oh, but then you would need to draw the hand back in once it does other person's hands. So it's, it, it is still doing an exposure thing unless you're washing the fake hand at which yeah, point. So you'd, you'd also need like high five hand wash stations everywhere in the world. Do you, hmm. are you familiar with the show Better Off Ted? No. Better Off Ted is one of my favorite sitcoms of all time. And it's about this, uh, it's a workplace sitcom, but it's set in a, basically evil corp it is this smiling happy corporation that does a whole lot of dubious crap and the protagonists are all people who work for this company either because they love it or because they have to even though they're just like man this company really is evil aren't they and the company installs these motion detectors to save money that turn off lights and mean you don't can't open doors or so on and like the water fountain doesn't come on if a human being isn't there to activate it but one of the main characters who is the scientist called lem uh his white lab partner leaves the room and the lights turn off and he can't open the doors and the company's solution to what is clearly this racist motion detector is to hire white people to follow the black people around and open the doors for them but then in for various legal reasons they have to hire black people to follow the white people around who then need yet further white people to follow the black people around to open up the doors for them because of the motion detectors it becomes an absurdist uh, horror show and the company removes the motion detectors because it doesn't it ultimately doesn't make money and then uh, the Microsoft camera released for the Xbox 360 had the exact same problem (laughs) right Right, and they shipped it with white face Oh, no. I love technology. (laughs) (laughs) Technology made by a team of all white uh, engineers. You know, they solved the problem as they understood it. (laughs) So they made it work at the last minute because uh, one of their uh, black, one of the black people in the staff walked past it right before show and noticed that it didn't turn on. Uh, And the connect was like, I think I just saw a ghost. (laughs) <laughs> this is actually before the connect. This is the this is when they were trying to compete with that breakout smash hit, the eye toy, and people oh. just ended up using it to put their junks into Uno. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was the use case. I would have personally loved it if, along with every copy of the connect, I got a white person to play the connect games for me. Uh, we still have to do the intro, guys. <laughs> yeah, please. You guys ready? John, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? My name is John. I am a topic lord and I have nothing to plug. Um, and I'm very happy to be back. And I'll leave it there and I have something more to say after, but I will wait till everyone's done their introductions first. All right. Uh, Nelson, do you, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? 
my name is Zolivier Nelson Jr. I am a narrative director and studio head. I work on a bunch of stuff, but uh, one of my prominent personal projects right now is an airport for aliens currently run by dogs, a first-person open-world comedy adventure game that I am making via Patreon and that you can support by wishlisting on Steam right now. You should just leave out the part about how it's a video game and just say that that's your project is the airport run by dogs. <laughs> that is actually a really good idea. <laughs> so no one knows to buy it or help you by wishlisting it? I, I, I prefer if they would like look up the airport code. Do you have an airport code? Did you pick one? Actually, this is a really interesting question that goes into a deeper thing, but I'll just make a long story short and say I considered airport codes and decided I was already going too hard on various vectors of the game, including making the dogs stock photos. So, uh, no, <laughs> there's no <laughs> airport codes because I deserve I, I deserve to be loved and cared for and treated properly, including by myself. So, you, the players should not only have to enter their, decide on their own airport code, they should also have to upload their own stock photos of dogs into the game. User-generated content is the future, Jim. The problem is that the players are, since there are three letters, they're all, all going to enter either sex or ass. Oh, no. Oh, no. If only we knew <laughs> in advance. I, I was going to say, like, what you should, what, what you could do is, um, if anyone is interviewing you as part of, you know, the press tour for this. And then they say, okay, when's the game coming out? Then you can just go back to, oh, yeah, oh, yes, the game, right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm on board with this. Excellent. Oh, oh John, what were you going to say? What were you going to add after everybody? You know what? Honestly, forgot it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, if, if, it, if it comes back, then it was worth it. If not, then better off left unsaid. If you love the punchline, let it go. <laughs> right. <laughs> Such is life. Uh, would you like to do some topics? Yeah, always. Absolutely. All right, John, your topic here is my worst fear as an adolescent. Gravity reverses while I'm in the family car on the 110 and I'm flung into the sky at 9.8 meters per second squared. Oh, man. Just just having it read back to me just sends a chill down my spine. You, you have PTSD about your inner life. That very visceral feeling of, of horror when you're on the freeway. And if, if suddenly gravity reverses, that's it. There's nothing you can do. You know, as long as you're going to have fears about things that could suddenly happen to you on the freeway where you die, like <laughs> there are a lot more sensible ones to have. But here's the thing. This is an incredibly valid fear because it revolves around <laughs> one thing. Powerlessness. <laughs> so you got to the core of it. You are on the freeway. You're driving. Like, let's say that, for example... A quote-unquote reasonable fear would be, you know, another car slams into you. You're, you're in the driver's seat, right? You can turn or you're, the person driving the car can turn. They, there is some semblance of control of gravity reverses. No one can do anything, not least you, sitting in the back seat, suddenly pushed against the ceiling at high speed as you realize that everything that you took for granted is gone. Yeah, I mean, because do the laws of nature suddenly no longer apply? It speaks to a greater horror that is unfathomable because the, the idea of anything being able to cause that is it's like an unknowable Lovecraftian horror concept just just beyond the comprehension of, of our small human brains. 
Yeah, like one of the, one of the laws of physics suddenly being tweaked in that way. It's very very disquieting. No thanks. Do not want it. Right to your senator. <laughs> right. Please do not turn on the gravity reverser. Um, but one of the things that that kind of occurred to me is as I w- as I was occasionally driving in the family car on the one ten in this time in the in the early nineties, I I would start to try to come up with contingency plans. Yeah. So yeah. like, okay, we are passing underneath some street lamps. So is there a scenario in which I could like hang my arm out of the window and grab a street lamp as we went under it right at the moment when things change? Um, there's also the, the idea of like, if you're inside a high rise building or some sort of apartment building or some sort of enclosure, honestly, uh, would the building be impacted in the same way? And what are the rules of this new world in which we're all reversing? Yeah. Like these, like a a huge building, like it's not attached to the ground with such strength that it could support its own weight. Well, that, that's a, I had, hadn't considered that when I was 12. Yeah. Now that's worse. It is. It's real bad. This is the scenario you put us all in is terrible. The primary question I have about this scenario is one, at what age did you learn meters? Uh, and two, I'm deeply bothered by children who know metric when they shouldn't. <laughs> and to understand uh, calculus. Well, see, it's possible that I'm conflating my knowledge of math at that time versus what I found out a few years later when I was still in Southern California and occasionally on the 110 and still fear, you know, fearful of of launching into the sky. You can just put a number to it now. This is exactly how fast I'm going to die. <laughs> right, right. Well, and then something else I considered only recently when I revisited this terrible fear is other scenarios that would likewise involve gravity reversing, but like at a different scale. Because you you talked about calculus and things like that. Well, if your acceleration suddenly reverses, theoretically, there would be a point of inflection where it changes, right? Mm-hmm. And so, rather than being a, a point at, you know, time going forward, acceleration downward, turning to acceleration upward, what if it was like a parabola? Yeah. So, you need to keep, you need to keep paying attention like to, oh, I, do I feel slightly lighter now? Uh-oh, it's starting. I Okay. The other thing about this is I, I kind of feel like this cannot be so so strange a fear that some science fiction author has not already done this. <laughs> oh, it's it's so it's called VVVVVV. It was an indie game around 2010. Ah, we'll see. There you go. So, I had two primary questions. And my second primary question coming away from this is we're talking a lot about gravity reversal, but what about gravity increases? Did you never worry that <sighs> You would be driving along the highway and the next thing you know, your family's car weighs twice as much. You weigh twice as much. You plunge through the floor, the fragile floor in the car as the car itself grinds to a halt. All the tires pop. And it's happening all around you too because it's rush hour and there's traffic everywhere. You're pinned to the ground by your own weight. The EMTs can't come because they're in the same have the same problem. The only people who are going to fix this are the people in mech suits. 
As long as we have them to count on. Also, people in like um, trampoline buildings, like those those entertainment centers. <sighs> they're going to get double bounced, but for real. Yeah, they're going to have a grand old time. The thing is, I don't trust anyone in a mech suit. I believe people in mech suits are inherently selfish. Because they're not letting you use the mech suit? If they've been put into a mech suit, like a like an anime character, that's one thing. If they're a member of military, or if they're in a power loader, say, because they are doing a working class job like Ripley from Alien or Aliens, cool, great. Right, they're the only one who can use the mech suit because their mom was the mech suit. Right. Exactly. But if this is just a person who owns a mech suit, I don't trust anyone who owns a mech suit of and puts themselves in it of their own volition to care enough about the rest of humanity. We're talking about a Batman scenario here. Well, I guess the other thing I was going to say is, does the mech suit have a conscience? Or, a, excuse me, consciousness? Conscience is another question. Does it have a consciousness? And also, does it have a conscience? So, does the mech suit decide to save people even when the owner does not? It's the Iron Giant scenario. Did he operate it from within? Iron Giant was autonomous. He was an, actually an, he was actually an alien. I thought so. I thought I was like for a moment there, I was having a false memory of like. I, but but all this is is moot because here's the thing: the gravity increase is also going to affect the mech suit. So it's not going to matter for, for very long. Oh. Right. Just going to be a crater filled with a mech suit with a person inside of it. And they're all going to be not in a good way. They're all going to be kind of flat. Just for my own comfort now, who would survive this? What entity survives the double gravity gambit? I wonder if being underwater would help or make it worse. Like, are all fish going to suddenly die at once? <laughs> Oh, those poor, those poor little guys. Well, the fish actually, like, if they can, if they can live through this, they just have to like swim upwards for a while. Is that all it would be? Like, wouldn't the water also become heavier? Right, but the the water pressure would decrease as you go up. So mm. if they can, if they could just make it to a higher altitude, they'd be okay. The sweet spot in the water where the water is supporting you and not supporting you. The double equilibrium point of water for fish. If the IS, if the people on the ISS figure out what's going on fast enough, they could go to a higher orbit. Oh, would it pull things in from orbit? I believe it would. Oof. I mean, if the gravity is from the Earth and it's just doubled. Oh, then the moon is going to crash into the Earth. Oh, why? Why, why, why did I bring this up? It's all coming back. Um, are you gonna are you gonna be okay? Are you gonna sleep tonight? Not very well. I'm gonna be looking at the ceiling, hoping I don't end up on it or like under it. Just meditate on the idea instead. This'll this'll be reassuring. If instead we do the reverse gravity thing, it'll throw the moon away from the planet. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Uh not not sure if that's better. Not helping? Okay. I like the moon, personally. I was going to say, it's it's out tonight. It's kind of nice. Are you guys ready for another topic? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, Nelson, your topic is kaiju who should know each other but don't. This is a question that has tormented me for some time. Not as much as nightmares about the family car reversing into the sky at a scientific notation that I don't know how to say. But... I'll just copy and paste what I said over what you just said. Really appreciate that. Thank you. 
For kaiju, there's quite a few kaiju, and the common element between a lot of them is that they are both strange and lonely, like game developers. And the thing that torments me is how many kaiju just don't know that the other kaiju are out there. Like Swamp Thing, technically a kaiju. He can increase his size, he has a domain, he has a distinct biology uh, and power set different from, you know, humanity. He is a kaiju, but he's like really sad in swamps because he doesn't know that Godzilla exists. Do you think they would like each other? I'm just thinking about all the misconnections, man. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I read a bunch of the Clifford the Big Red Dog books. He never meets any other big dogs or any big anything. The entire series is about a dog who is in a very, very unique position who uh, is perpetually alone. And I, I think that's a problem. There's no Clifford 2, right? There's no M- Mothra equivalent in the Clifford universe. No. But if there was, imagine how much happier he would be. Hang on. We need to we need to backtrack about five steps <laughs> because my mind is is being blown in every direction right now. So so I, I have a I have a a general understanding of kaiju being a big creature. Mm-hmm. But but I feel like there's some knowledge that I'm just I'm missing. No, that's about it. That's that's like the size of it as far as I can tell. So from what I'm getting though, we we say Godzilla is a kaiju. We say Swamp Thing is kaiju. I would say that kaiju encrypted for the matter of this discussion should be considered essentially identical uh, classifications because they share so many similarities and they also suffer through a mutual loneliness. The Loch Ness Monster. Yes. uh, The Chupacabra. Bigfoot. But I thought that... Because his feet are so big. I thought the Chupacabra was so okay. So, so are we saying then that that size is is not a is not a determining factor? I think they should be large or have the capacity to become large. I think that should be considered a, a piece of the kaiju equation. But but when we say large, like I guess my question is, what's the the cutoff from when something becomes kaiju versus a garden variety cryptid? Is bigger Luke a kaiju? That's I was I was I was going there. <laughs> That's my next question. Sorry, I didn't mean to snipe your joke. No, I'm glad that you got there too, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I want to exist in a world where I can have hope that Clifford is lonely and can go hang out with Godzilla or Swamp Thing. Or like, I want to know other examples. That's the, that's what I'm saying. Like, And bigger Luke and the Mothman are best buds. They they go and hang out with Nessie. Mm-hmm. But like, mm-hmm. what what else? Like, I mean, there it, it, it's such a it's such a rich concept. Yeah, there's a real potential for like a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen scenario here. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, give me more, please. <laughs> so, what I would suggest here is that as a wrinkle to this classification system we're building for okay, essentially the the Venn diagram for this kaiju uh, matchmaking app. For friendships, the Craigslist personal <laughs> ads yes. for kaiju. Should we also include things that have a larger than life presence? So like Jack the Ripper, a perpetual piece of our cultural imagination now, is he a kaiju? Oh my gosh. In our hearts. Because <sighs> so far we're just talking about good kaiju, right? But there's bad kaiju out there. There's kaiju who want 
to hurt others. Jack the Ripper potentially being among them. Should these be allowed to join the terms of to apply to the terms of service on our Kaiju <laughs> matchmaking app? It's it's like if you do the OK Cupid personality test, mm-hmm. but you get one of the classifications where they're like, we don't want you to be out there. Like, we don't want you to meet other people because you're too bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that was only for the men. Like, the 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 female equivalent of that one was like, yeah, you, you go, girl. Oh, there's somewhere, like, it, you just can't match with anyone? Well, no. The, the, the personality test, the personality that you, the quiz assigned you was like, please go away. But they didn't actually right. enforce that in any way. Right. They just told you to feel bad about yourself. Yeah. So, like, when it comes to kaiju, though, I'm, I'm imagining some sort of alignment chart, really, because my, my brain default goes to all, you know, tries to put everything in the context of D&D. Right. Um, and so, I'm imagining, like, if you have lawful evil kaiju, like, should they only hang out with other lawful evil kaiju? Then you end up having the, the League of Doom scenario where there's just a bunch of oh. evil kaiju who are hanging out. The anti-Clifford is waiting yes and it's terrifying (laughs) now i have something to be scared of like can you imagine all the traits of clifford reversed that is a psychopath and a half (laughs) it's like a giant green cat no tiny green cat a tiny green cat but it is is as dense as a neutron star yes (laughs) he immediately forms a black hole or it has the ability to reverse gravity. I mean, and we're back to that again. And, oh, man. You guys ready for another topic? Sure. Uh, this should make you happy because there's no gravity in it. My topic is this Ar- Arkanoid TAS, and then I have a link to the to the video. Uh, and the TAS stands for Tool Assisted Speed Run, um, meaning... It is a speed run that is either uh, computer mediated, like maybe they made it by like entering by entering inputs into a text file or something, or like mm-hmm. using save states to create the speed run, or or in this case they actually used a program to optimize the speed run. Arkanoid is a um, it's basically breakout with with extra stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Jeez, okay. Now I have to explain breakout. Uh, breakout is a game. <laughs> where you play a bat at the bottom of the screen and there's a ball bouncing around and you're trying to break all the bricks at the top of the screen using the ball. Okay, now that all that's out of the way, this guy translated all the the game logic of Arkanoid into like modern computer language, into C++, and then wrote a program to try every, like with with some restrictions because sometimes it was infeasible to actually literally try everything, but to try every possible movement to figure out what were the the fastest possible ways to get through every level in the game and wow. was running it on six cores for over a year to uh, sim- running the simulation <laughs> in order to generate these uh these optimal strategies so i have been watching tool assisted speed runs for many many years what's your favorite Oh geez, I don't know. I like I I like what's going on with the Super Mario sixty four scene uh-huh. because I think it it started out. It, it's like since I have been watching it, it has gone from this number of stars to fewer and fewer and fewer to the point where it's like no stars and no keys, and we're just gonna blast through the wafers of the universe to get to the end of yeah, just phase through every wall and get to the last level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So just like seeing how these 
these increases over time are happening, it's like it, it's kind of like watching scientific breakthroughs in real time because it, you know, um, and and so the idea of someone figuring out how this, you know, the underlying things about what's happening in this game and just being like, I, I can just try it until I get the best solution just kind of blows my mind. I mean, it's like, we're, we're just gonna do all of it. We're gonna do every possible thing to go through as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So Arkanoid is uh, especially amenable to this sort of treatment because um, there are only there, there, you can break it down into a limited number of decision points. And they're enumerated in this essay that describes how the um, the video is made. But things like when an enemy is spawned, you can you can choose which side of the screen it's on by by which side of the screen you're on. So it matters at that point, like where you hit the ball on the paddle um, matters. So that's a, that's a decision point. And there's there's just a few of these. And so like you're there are only a couple of branch points a second apparently. And also, like, you're really only m moving the paddle left or right, whereas in most, like, if you look at Super Mario Brothers, uh, there's eight bits of input per frame that actually matter, maybe seven. That goes exponential much, much more steeply. They also talk about, like, here are the levels that I guarantee are the fastest possible levels. Here are the levels that might have a better strategy, but probably not because, like, because of just assumptions they had to make to, in order to compute the uh, result in a reasonable amount of time. And then here are the levels that I like took some real like questionable assumptions to get just to get it done, uh, but still ca came up with an incredible time. And the other the other restriction this person was working under was that they weren't searching for glitches. Like uh, I don't have a favorite Taz run, but my favorite category is probably the ones where like. Like in Super Mario World, there's one where like you dance with a fish for like just run around at random for like 15 seconds, and then suddenly the credits play. <laughs> yes, I no, I think I saw that one recently. Yeah, um, and what's happening there is they're exploiting a glitch that literally like rewrites the code of the game so that the next instruction is jump to the credits. And this this person was not looking for that sort of exploit they're actually just as if you're really playing the game what's the what's the optimal way if you're if you're doing it within the spirit of what you're supposed to be doing it reminds me of these stories where these martial arts masters go into the mountains and they just think about a single move for you know 30 years and then they find the perfect version of it but we've done that with computers for arachnoid the greatest martial art of all <laughs> I'm I'm hoping that the the person who did this parlays this into something. Oh yeah, they're they're getting laid left and right. Like just beyond like notoriety within the speedrunning community. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Like I like I want to see academic papers about this. Yeah, I mean so a friend of mine um made this video 10 years ago maybe uh where she uh, used an emulator to um, record a bunch of attempts at a very difficult level, like a, a modded level in Super Mario World, and composited all the attempts into a single video where, like, all the Marios appear in the same video all at once on the on the screen at once, and you can see them like as each one dies, the herd gets thinned out. Oh yeah, this sounds familiar. Yeah, this was Andy McClure, maybe maybe ten years ago, something like that. Yes. Okay. 
And um, as far as I can tell, what came of that is that they put a similar thing in Super Meat Boy. Interesting. Oh, yeah. The, the, the replay feature in Super Meat Boy where you see all of the Meat Boys that didn't make it. Yeah. Like it. God, even if this were like a big breakthrough in AI, um, I feel like the people who are w watching the speedrunning scene are just not the sort of people who uh, who are doing real science. Even though it it really feels to me like it, it the processes are so similar. That, that's the thing. It's it's more of a it's more of a image thing at that point, right? You you've got yeah. these people doing incredible work. Who have very similar mindsets, much like the kaiju who are separated from each other. There's <laughs> all the reason in the world for them to get together, but also all the reason in the world for them not to. And it's this quantum state where nothing has happened yet, but you could easily see those worlds collapsing. And suddenly this Taz speedrunner uh, finds the solution to COVID. Like that world is possible. Right. But then is blocked by the FDA for, for, from releasing their vaccine. Because they aren't a quote unquote real scientist. Yeah, it's that's right. the worst. I'm preemptively furious. This, this scenario that we've just concocted is very upsetting that uh, that this person is not going to get their due. I was uh, I was talking to Bennett Foddy, who was a before he was a game designer, was a professor of philosophy at Oxford. And one of the things he said was that philosophers have such a, um, they're so self-conscious about their image of like just lazy people who don't actually do anything that they really try to avoid giving the impression that they'd ever do anything fun. Mm. Like you must, you must be serious at all times. Right. And so as someone whose like hobby was video game stuff, that was very hard for him to like, to be public about that. I mean, okay, so I never played Getting Over It, but I have seen people play it and I am familiar with the the idea that it is punishing and hard and you get snippets of cool concepts as you go up, right? Right, right. Right. And and like it kind of gels like, oh, this guy was a philosophy professor. That makes sense. Right. This is this is what I want. I like it when people do one thing and then do another thing. It's like how the guy who directed Whiplash is a jazz musician. The the take that he has on making films is informed by his experience as a as a musician. So, yeah. Um, you guys ready for another topic? I am. Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. Yuri asks. I was wondering what you and your fellow lords do to warm up prior to getting started on some creative thing. Does it change comparing coding to making music, drawing, crocheting, etc.? Do you guys have a warm up? I. I don't know that I necessarily have a warm up other than I, I'm aware of some best practices that I have kind of tried to incorporate into doing creative things that I've, uh, that I perhaps am not able to actually put into, uh, into my actual work. So one of the things I've heard that is helpful is to not be super precious about the work you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, if I want to sit down at a computer and record a song or something or or try to write something i should approach it from the angle of being willing to throw it away yeah if if it's if it's not something that's worth hanging on to yeah not being like well i have this idea and i'm going to put a lot of work into it and feel really good about it if it's just not coming together like it's okay to let it go and just allow it to just be a study right respectfully yeah. i believe that's an act of cowardice 
Ooh, ooh, challenged. I do challenge this. I, I think that there oh, is a... I, I want to hear it. There is an expectation in creative arts, especially in iterative ones like programming or coding or game design, that we can't know what works. And mm. literally no other medium works that way. Like, they don't walk into a booth in music and say, what the fuck is a chord? We know what a chord is. We know what off mm. chords are. We know that problem space. I think in games, we are a much younger medium, but we're similarly in a space where we can... We can make plans. You can pl do a thing. It's just a matter of uh, structural thinking, which is just not as established in our medium. Throw nothing away. Make everything. Cut, measure twice and cut once. <laughs> so my, my experience uh, that's relevant here is um, Gunhouse, uh, which mm. is a game I made in t over the course of 2013 with um, Brandon Sheffield et al., Oh, that just uh, that just had a, uh, a a really cool sale on Switch. People can get it at a variety of places. Yeah. Oh shit. If if that if you're going to mention it now, I have to ship ship this episode sooner. Right. Yeah. I'll see if it, I can actually make it happen um, before the sale ends. Otherwise, I'm going to cut what you just said. <laughs> Gunhouse is a cool game, which is available a variety of locations. That's the backup version. <laughs> That's right. We um. We had a bunch of ideas for how the game should work and made and, and just tried a bunch of ideas and it took a year to make it fun because like when you're trying to, when you're going into a new spe gameplay space, sometimes that's how, how much iteration you need to do in order to find the fun. Like if you're, if you're taking a, an existing gameplay idea um, and, and just remaking it like based on uh, an existing thing that you know already works. That's still takes a lot of work. It still takes a lot of skill to do, but it's something that like, you know, from the start is going to be fun. You just need to do what they do. And it's very different if you're going into, if you're doing a new thing. The, the other example I'd like to bring up, you know, the game Snake Pass? Yes. I don't think I do. It's a, it's a game where you you play a snake, it's kind of structured like a collect-a-thon platformer, like Banjo-Kazooie, but the game is all about... Thinking like a snake, being a snake. Yeah, a very particular <laughs> control scheme that is sort of like how a snake would move. You're, you're tightening and loosening your coils, and you're like wrapping around things to, to, to climb. And I personally don't think the movement mechanic is very fun. But I think this is one of those cases where like you start down the path of this idea and you're you're like you're a year into making this game and you're like, we're gonna find the fun, guys. We're gonna make it fun because that's how that's what you have to you have to trust in the process. And sometimes the idea just isn't gonna be fun, but you have to ship the game anyway, otherwise you just wasted two years. The question is, what advice then would you give to yourself two years prior as they were setting out to to do this thing that ultimately is no good. I, th I think one important thing to recognize here is the distinction between areas of experimentation, right? So like with Gunhouse, which is mm. a great example, and because you aren't plugging your own thing, I'm just going to continue saying that's available on PS4, Steam, and on <laughs> Nintendo Switch. The uh -huh. Also the PlayStation Vita. <laughs> you did some really unique things and there's different ways to separate out those things and be able to know what works. So for example, mechanically, you have this new puzzle mechanic and new ways in which you're um, planning to uh, use it to do this puzzle tower defense thing and to do that fusion. 
that that mechanic is an area of iteration. But as far as yeah, that that should be seen as a field in which there's constant experimentation. There's constant even in established genres finding the fun that is a piece of it. But I think on there's there's other areas of planning. For example, the overall structure of a game. You would not believe how many times I talk to people who are working on even linear productions where they're just like, yeah, we don't we don't know how the how the game plays. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. the, the the most direct piece that people interact with for a game is in fact its structure. Yes, there can be, for example, in an open world shooter, there's they're going to be shooting things, they're going to be driving, there's going to be the mechanical ends where you're iterating and doing interesting things or where you're creating art. But fundamentally, what they're what defines how they see your game in comparison to everything else and the way they move through your game is going to be based on what happens in between A to B and how does that loop connect together? Those structures, if they're rock solid, you can even biff some execution things in terms of gameplay and still have people engaged. Undertale yeah. is a really interesting game, not particularly because of how it's art or music or mechanics work, although all of those are, of course, you know, critically acclaimed masterclasses and, and their ways. The, the primary way in which it moves is its overall structure, how that thing flows together, how the combat flows and what brings you between locations. If that was out of sync, the rest of it falls apart. And that is a part yeah. that if you plan it, you can save yourself in many cases, years of development time. My favorite example of structure saving a game is Jetpack Joyride, which mm. is an <laughs> end, it's an endless runner and it's kind of a, like, I don't think it's a very, well, I don't think endless runners are good, but I don't <sighs> think this is a very good game. However, the structure that they place the endless runner in of like the upgrade system and the achievement system were so compelling to me that I ended up putting something like 20 hours into that game doing a thing that is like kind of baseline fun, but just not a good game. And it's it's just a an education in like how powerful a context is. I'm specifically speaking from the experience here of for a not insignificant period of my career that is still ongoing. I my role has been that of a fixer. I've I've had people come to me like a couple of months before a localization deadline with a deeply text centered game and say, actually, we have no text. We have no story. Our writer is deeply panicked. Everything is on fire and we don't know how this game connects together. And my entire job at that point is to build up the structures that enable us to hit targets. It's something I deeply enjoy. And having done that several times in emergency situations, when I come into projects like an airport for aliens currently run by dogs, like the way in which I said, this is how the loop works. Every single thing I planned it out and that is how the game works and it works first time. But wouldn't it be more fun if you waited till you were like two months from ship and then did it all at once? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? That There is a fun to be found there. <laughs> and I have been oh. in that place. Let's go there again. <laughs> It's like waiting until the night before to write that essay. And it's just like, I'm going to get something out because there's a deadline. My, my bad habit is that I I have the, these structures and I have these reasonable things which I do to try to make games, you know, <laughs> the process of making games reasonable. But my weakness is 
usually the day or the night before we bring that thing to the public, I've got all of this free brain energy and I just (laughs) put things into the game. And sometimes those things create horrible, horrible consequences that I have to deal with for months to come. And I never learn my lesson. That does sound fun. That reminds me a little bit of times when I've been running a D&D game and I will not have prepped enough for where we are. And so like halfway through the session, I have a blank page. And then it's just like, well, I guess I'm going to find out what happens too. There, there's a there's a space that needs to be filled with something, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hope that somewhere in there there's a, there's enough juice to actually get this across the finish line. We're all fragile people in a fragile world attempting to make juice. <laughs> Indeed, and th- and this is where we need empathy for each other. That's right. <laughs> uh, getting back to um, warming up. I don't do that. And I probably should. <laughs> when it's time for me to create, it's like, okay, I, I, I'm going to make something now. And I just sit down and like open the text editor or open the, the you know, the, the piano roll and sit there until things happen. And if things don't happen fast enough, then I go browse Reddit <laughs> and it's, pro- there's got to be a better way. <laughs> I, I think there's a valuable thing to be said for, uh, multi-thread processing so there's times where i'll be working and like i have a lull and then i'm browsing twitter my brain is working on a solution it's just if i was to look at it i would only be frustrated and not able to really concentrate i i I think we've got these really versatile brains and those versatile brains that's the excuse i give for browsing twitter far too much than i should like now. Yeah, no, that's and that's a real thing. That's an actual phenomenon that happens. I agree that that like a lot of the time the real worker is is the one that is in the back of your head. The trick being that like that subconscious process is at least this is at least this is my intuition that is only going to be working on a problem if you are explicitly thinking about it consciously as well. Like mm. if you sit and think about a problem for a few hours, then the your subconscious mind is going to put in a commensurate few hours thinking about it more but if you're like okay okay subconscious mind go i'm gonna go play video games mm. <laughs> that's not gonna do it there, there needs to be uh there needs to be an energy dedicated to it yes yeah in terms of like getting into the space where concentration is happening and energy is being committed part of this the the question is does it change depending on if you're coding or making music or doing something, you know, something else, I'd be interested in hearing your, uh, if there are any differences for y'all with the way you approach that. Because like these days I've been doing coding for work that involves looking at data frames and like figuring out how to do cool things with graphs and things like that, that I can present to people. And what, what usually ends up happening is I put on headphones and Lately, it's been I listen to the Hyperlight Drifter soundtrack and just work until that's over. And then at the end of it, I've accomplished a lot. When it comes to doing a cross stitch, if I want to work on a cross stitch, then I put on the movie Zodiac and I watch that. (laughs) Specifically Zodiac. You should, here's what you should do. Like when you start the work day, 
Uh, you you play Zodiac, and then when you look down at your cross stitch, it will spell out the name of the real killer. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you stop working, you pause the movie. And then we start move, working again. You play the movie again. And you see how many zodiacs you can get through over the course of the workday. Right. I actually do. Like it didn't. It didn't occur to me until you said you put on music. Um, I actually do. Like often, we'll watch speed runs. Like I'll put it on the other on the on my second monitor while I work. Oh, see, the problem is if I do that, then I just want to watch the speed run because it's so yeah. interesting. Yeah, that is a problem. <laughs> I have to be like in a like the liminal, liminal space where like it's just interesting enough to keep my mind tickled while I'm doing the real work, but not interesting enough that I'm actually paying attention to it. Lately, I have, in addition to the Hyperlight Drifter soundtrack, which is in heavy rotation, I've been so excited about replaying Breath of the Wild that the music I will listen to is just the Breath of the Wild soundtrack. So yeah. it's like, it's, so it's kind of like I'm playing the game while I'm doing my work. Yeah. Yeah. We can, we could talk about Breath of the Wild. What a good video game. It's a very good video game. Do we have a topic about Breath of the Wild? Can we? No, we, we, we already picked our topics. We made our topics and now we have to sleep in them. But, but here we, here we are and Breath of the Wild comes up and I'm just going to say it's a very, very good video game and I like it a lot. And it brings me a lot of happiness. It was my present to myself when I got my first job in my current field. Nice. I went out and bought the Nintendo Switch and Breath of the Wild. And I just played it for a month before my job started. And it was amazing. That sounds like a really neat time, actually. <laughs> it, was, it was excellent because it's like, there's nothing for you to do. Just, just enjoy this. Just, this is a gift yeah. to yourself. I did a similar thing where when my Kickstarter finished successfully, I, I bought a Wii U and Super Mario 3D World, which, and then like suddenly I was diagnosed with, uh, with trench mouth and <laughs> just had, had other problems to deal with. Yeah. Just had to take your teeth out and re replace them with carbon fiber teeth. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's my favorite I, iteration of George Washington, uh, Cyber Washington <laughs> yes. with the carbon fiber alloy teeth right. with minigun attachment. He's unstoppable. Does the gun shoot teeth? He did take teeth from his slaves to put into his mouth, so maybe it shoots the teeth of his slaves. Wow. Oh my gosh. George Washington was not a good man. <laughs> just concerned about like going to put that on my list of adolescent fears, just Mecca Washington <laughs> coming at you with his with his teeth in a minigun. No thanks. <laughs> not no, not his teeth. His the the teeth that he stole from from humans. From other human beings that he owns. Oh. Oh no. Well, at that point, technically that's just farming, right? You've got your plants, which are humans, and you've got your crops, uh -huh. which are teeth. But you could only harvest the crops. Well, I don't like this metaphor anymore. No. Okay. <laughs> you could go to a slave auction and say, how much for just the teeth? Mm. Oh, no. Do we got another topic? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Nelson, your topic here is, would a cool sentient dog dig up in a graveyard dig up the bodies? Would that make him an, the anti-caretaker? <laughs> I'm not proud of this question and I don't want to discuss it. A cool sentient dog. So, how cool is this dog? He's like very Lost Boys. Leather jacket, glasses. Yeah. He's like, hey, folks. A Lost Boys dog would definitely dig up the bodies. 
but he like dig up the bodies to like put them in like cool poses. Like he would think it's a good thing. On the other hand, if you just find a person walking down the street, you don't have to dig nearly as deep to get to their bones. <laughs> oh no. Their bones are right there, huh? And like cool guys can be are often portrayed as like lazy. So it just makes sense that cool dog would dig for bones in the easiest place possible, which is just directly into the human body. Right. I, I was going to say, I think we are we are actually getting to the actual plot of Lost Boys. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time, so maybe I'm wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure I remember something about, about dogs, cool dogs biting people's bones through their skin, and there were vampires involved. I clearly remember Kiefer Sutherland saying, I just want the bones, man. Right. <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember Lost Boys. Is Lost Boys the movie that has the guy playing a saxophone shirtless? Yes. Okay, I know this. I know this movie. Wow. Okay. Now I thought I knew this movie. Now I don't think I do. <laughs> <laughs> for whatever reason, this is like the most memorable part of the movie for me. There's a they, like the characters go to a concert at a beach, I think, where the front man of the the band is this like shirtless muscle dude, like an oiled up muscle dude who sings and then like between like lyrics plays the saxophone. It's a vibe. Man. He's like buff Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Right. And because he's so strong, he can he can lift the saxophone instead of having to resort to an accordion. What, well, wait a minute. What's the weight differential between those two instruments? They both involve straps that you have to put around yourself. Right. Oh, maybe he's maybe he's not buff. Maybe he's just smart enough to use the use his entire body to lift it. Right. Lift lift the saxophone with your knees, not with your back. Right. So you're saying that the saxophone's weight like weight requirements requirements are either strength or an int score. Right. Yes. <laughs> There's the sum, perhaps. That that could that could stack. Saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and we have our episode title, folks. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I was going to say, I almost don't want to say because that was too good. I want to hear the thing you were going to say, though. Just just give it a moment of silence, which the which I'll edit out, uh, and okay. then say the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to say a dog, a sentient dog that would dig up the bodies that were placed there in the graveyard with care is not a cool dog at all. That is a very uncool way to be, dog. Is it, though? I mean, what is cool? Now we're getting into the real questions. I understand the idea of, like, the cool dog who has the sunglasses and the cool jacket. But, like, he sounds like kind of a jerk. But is being a jerk cool? This is why we bring up Lost Boys. The Lost Boys cool is definitely involves being a jerk. I, I, maybe, maybe there was a time. When we would have have thought of such a dog as cool, but but this is twenty twenty. You know, this is twenty twenty. Like we need to we need to look at these things and kind of think about like was that dog actually cool for digging up those yeah. those bodies? Yeah, the cool sentient dogs are now they're all a wooing on Mastodon now, and <laughs> none of them would dig up bodies. Well, actually, did you see the story about how they? We're literally doing that and selling the teeth on Etsy as a uh, witchy curio. <sighs> what? What? <laughs> what? Please send me a link to this. Tumblr <sighs> selling bones. Yes. 
Okay, let me just read this this Tumblr post. About 20 minutes from my house in New Orleans is what we call the poor man's graveyard. Most graveyards around here are full of above-ground graves because we live in a fishbowl. But there happens to be a graveyard where it's all in-ground graves. For those of us who are too poor to afford above-ground burial. When it rains, of course, bones wash up. The older the grave, the more you find. You can literally walk around and see femurs, teeth, jaws, skull caps, etc., etc. This is where I go to find my bones for curse work and general spells that require bone. I find human bones are easier for work with for me rather than animal bone. I can relate and work with the energy they carry if that makes any sense. Anyways, I wanted to see if I started selling, basically covering shipping to wherever you happen to be, if people would be interested. I know human bones aren't easy to come by, and I usually have leftovers. I only go once a month or when it rains. I mean, I don't know where to start. Jeez. I can empathize with this. It totally makes sense that the energy of a human bone would, would mesh better than an animal bone. It, I mean, it's like a very rare where an animal bone might be a rare. They're apparently a part of a community called Vulture Culture, a Tumblr community of collectors and enthusiasts of death-related items like bones, taxidermy, and insects. Vulture Culture is a good name. It is. Do we think that this person is cool? Because I would argue that... It does does making the person a dog make it cool? I think dog owners would say yes. I mean, dogs are pretty cool, generally. <laughs> so in my game, I've got this character called Bribe Dog, and he's literally just... Oh, you're doing... Th- this is research for you. <laughs> <laughs> Bri- bribe Dog is the dog who loves bribes. And he's one of okay. the most popular character in the game, judging from player responses. Like... As I have made characters in the game saying, yeah, Bribe Dog is a really fun guy, but he also deserves to be arrested. And all of my (laughs) players and community members are like, oh, I love Bribe Dog. He's so good. He's so cuddly. He's so fuzzy. How do I... Stealing bones from a grave is a crime, as is stealing money from people to let them take a flight. Why do we excuse crimes when dogs do them? It is one of these questions like... Are dogs that are behaving badly still good dogs? I I think a a major factor here is the dogs don't know any better, which is canceled out by the sentient dog, the sentientness of the dog. Dog is no longer innocent. But dogs are also enthusiastic when they do do bad things. So people are like, ah, that cute little dog, He he knows he wasn't supposed to be doing that. He knew he wasn't supposed to be eating my vomit. Not he. He knows he's better than to take those bribes. That old dog. That dog is helping. Yeah, you have to clean up that vomit. Otherwise, I have a small dog named Pepper who was a street dog, and occasionally when she gets on the elevator, if there's anyone else, she will attempt to bite their ankles. Which is funny because she's small and she's missing several teeth, and so she kind of just gums them. And usually, it is met with a laugh. But each time it happens, I'm mortified because I've I've lived with her for a couple of years and she should know better at this point. Yeah, that's a that's a problem. Like at some point you're gonna get someone who is like really upset by this. That's what I'm saying. Uh and you know, so it's just a matter of this dog just needs to needs to behave. But she's still a very good dog, so I'm torn. If if she were sentient though and she knew what she was doing every time she did it, then like I I think there there would be more consequences too. And consequences that would make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a sentient, a sentient creature can 
potentially feel shame for their actions. Yeah, we were um, we were out on a walk with Winston at a nearby park, and there was a, a dog off leash that came up to us, and it was a you know pretty small dog, but it was just like standing like thirty feet away and barking at us, and like I didn't feel threatened by this dog, but that dog could have fucked Winston up. So yeah. I, I ended up like picking Winston up off the ground and the dog's owner was like very sad about like, <laughs> she's, she's friendly, she's friendly, like took offense to this, I think. But like, you got to have your dog under control. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or if you, if your dog is not going to be under control, then, then just keep them close to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys ready for another topic? I am. Sure. John, your topic here is experiencing FOMO about activities you do not want to do. I was thinking about this today and I, I've been I've been noticing a lot of people who are concerned that they're not able to go hang out with their friends and go out and be in public places and things. And I, I was just thinking like, I understand on a conceptual level that people like to do things that I do not like to do. It's like if someone talks about going to a a music event and it's very loud and it's very exciting and you can feel the music and I'm just thinking I I probably would not have fun there. I probably would just be concerned that it's very loud and I'm uncomfortable. But I'm also I I want to have the feeling of being able to be a part of something that people like to do. This is like lifetime FOMO where like, I'm never going to like live music. What am I missing out on? Are you trying to talk to us about Animal Crossing? Yes. Sorry. Yes. Oh, God. Oh, oh, phew. Oh, oh, okay. Yes. Okay. So, okay. We, we've broken the seal on Animal Crossing, which I was, I, I guess I was dancing around. I, I blocked it, honestly, like going into this, that this is what I wrote it about. The worth this topic about, and I had forgotten about it till now. Tonight's <laughs> not the best night for memory. We're in sync, man. I see people playing Animal Crossing all over Twitter and everywhere else, and I think, oh, I remember when I played Animal Crossing on the DS back in the day, and oh, it was nice, it was so much fun until it became my job, and I had to go and pull my weeds every day and carve out a half hour to do all my chores. And now I'm I'm hearing about like oh, people, come visit my island. And I'm like, oh, that'd be so cool. Like, I, I've seen April posting things about, like, friend codes and things. And I'm just like, oh, that would that would be nice. And then I'm also thinking, but I'd have to, like, tidy my house and I'd have to plan a time. And, oh, I, I don't know. So, really, I should have said I'm torn between whether or not I want to get Animal Crossing. And I want to know what y'all think. <laughs> Are you... How are you feeling? Like, are your current entertainment options satisfying you? I think, I mean, I've got Breath of the Wild, so I'm good. I mean, that's a, that's a real good option. Just it remains good. Um, but I mean, Nan and I have been watching various shows and movies and just kind of, you know, doing our thing where we watch something and then have nice conversations about it. And I'm just like, hey, I think this, this is fine. I think I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, so, the thing that like Animal Crossing does, aside from just being a, a kind of a fun game, is that you can socialize in it. Right. But like, if you're, you know, talking to people on the phone, that's probably good enough. Yeah. I, I, I don't think you need to play this game unless you are looking for another cool game or another cool way to interact with people. This may sound silly, but I, I mean this sincerely. Like, I appreciate 
being given permission to not want to do the thing that seems like everyone else is doing it. No, that's that's super valid. <laughs> I can I can provide this service to you at virtually any time. <laughs> like if you change your mind about Breath of the Wild, just give me a call and I'll I'll let you know it's okay. It's okay to not want to play it anymore. Yeah. Oof. Oof. I don't I don't uh, oh. You don't you you're not ready to be there? Okay. All right. No. It's fine. Maybe one day. But not, not for the next couple of weeks at least. Okay. All right. I, I think you, you touch on a really good thing here where it's like the activities you're talking about, there's a, there's a difference between there is one wanting to do the activity and wanting the communal, mm-hmm. uh, communal experience of the activity. And I think mm-hmm. what you're identifying is not so much activities that you don't want to do. You don't miss the activity itself. You miss the communal experience of the activity. I had this all the time with multiplayer games growing up where like, I would be like, I finally got left for dead guys. And then everybody (laughs) had moved on to whatever was the actual game of the time. And and because I was not in a really high economic bracket and I didn't have like allowance or ways to make money or whatever else, that was my common experience. Even to this day where I'm like, ah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get the game until it's on sale. When it's on sale, I'm having the experience, but I'm not having the communal thing around the experience. So now I'm having to do this really right. weird juggling act of, do I actually want to play the game or do I want to be able to have the conversations and experience around the game? And that saved me a lot of money because it turns out for a lot, <laughs> a lot of new games that that communal experience actually isn't that valuable because we stop talking about things so quickly either way. The flash points that you have to hit are much uh, either much faster or much slower. It reminds me a little bit of that that one summer when everyone when Pokemon Go came out and suddenly just like there was this moment where for a month everyone was just playing Pokemon Go and it, and I I mean people still play it from what I understand but it doesn't feel like the world is playing it yeah but like yeah. it's still a communal experience for a lot of people like April's in a Discord channel that organizes raids and that sort of thing uh, John did you do you enjoy like the, the you so you were talking about how like when you were playing Animal Crossing what you didn't like was when it turned into a chore did you like like the vibe of it just like the the look and 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 feel of talking to the characters yeah I mean I, I think there's a lot that I remember enjoying because sometimes I would just open it up and it would just be kind of relaxing like oh I'm gonna go you know it's it's late so the music's gonna be in this way and you know, I'll, I'll go and go fishing for a bit and I'll go talk to this guy and see what he's up to and see what music's playing in his house and stuff like that. And, but like at some point, I just kind of, I crossed from that nice, pleasant experience to feeling obligated to, well, if I don't show up, then I'm going to come in and there's going to be roaches and stuff in, in the house. And like, I don't want that. That's unpleasant. Yeah. So the, the reason I bring it up is that... um there's a game called A Short Hike that feels like, oh. you know this one? I have played this one. Oh, great. I love this one. Okay. I don't need to recommend it to you then. That was, um, I, I will tell a short anecdote about this. So, I, I got a new computer in December. Uh, this new computer has enough processing power that it can finally play video games, which my previous computer was seven years old and it was not up to anything. So couldn't do it. And so the first one I thought, Oh, you know, I've, I've heard so much about a short hike. It looks very pleasant and nice and good. And so I got it and I played through the whole thing in like a couple of hours. And I remember 
I was sitting at the at the table playing it with my headphones on while Nan was doing some work, and I was just like, I got to the like the end part, and I was sitting there just kind of quietly shedding a couple of tears and being like, this this is just so nice, it's so good, I'm, I'm so happy that I was able to exist in this space for a little while. Yeah. Um, but then like I think there's a lot of stuff that I missed, and now I'm kind of like I don't think I need to go back to it. Yeah, that, that's when it becomes a chore. Exactly. Yeah. So you don't need to, you can just have the experience. But so. you can go like collect a bunch of money, like almost all the money in the world and like pay off that guy's student debts. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like I would love to help this guy, but also I don't need to. Yeah. I'm just, I can just let it be what it was and have the nice memory of it and, and let that be as good as it gets. Animal Crossing yeah. New Leaf was the first time I ever made a non-optimal decision in the game to retain my quality of life so when nice. i first started the game you know i was building up my orchards and so on and i would my play sessions were usually around 15 to 20 minutes i'd do all my stuff in my day in the day i talked to some villagers villager interaction was my main thing it was just being in that world and having this nice space and as my orchards got larger i was spending more and more time in my orchards also digging up fossils dealing with trees dealing with fishing Soon enough, my play times had extended to like 45 minutes. The experience in that world was no longer a quiet respite, but a responsibility in itself. And so, I I got an axe and I had this very climactic, <laughs> <laughs> uh, un, unexpected experience where I just went out to my orchards in front of some villagers and like they expressed shock because I was just chopping down tree after tree after tree so I could have a better life in that world. You leveled up as a person. Yeah, it was nice leveling up as a person. I want to do more of that. I mean, and the other thing is now you have this this wonderful story about this experience that you had that no one else did, where you rebelled against the the confines of the of the box you'd placed yourself in. Yeah. Yeah. So before we before we close out the the show, I put this topic in the list because I wanted to tell a particular story. Uh, this is secondhand, but it was um, a friend of mine who bought an iPad that they didn't want. They had to buy an iPad because like their their son's school system required it, basically. <laughs> and uh, we, it came up that um, the idea that what Apple is really good at, like the I'm of the opinion that like Apple actually isn't significantly better at making better products than their competitors, but what they are really good at is making their products feel special. Like, mm. feel like you just bought a, a thing that's really special and ra a rare experience. And he was saying like, uh, yeah, as I was opening it, it felt special. It felt like this really nice thing that I didn't want. <laughs> it felt like, you know, someone coming up to you and saying, I have something to confess. I love you. And I always have. And then you're like, I, mm, that's, that's nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and... I don't know. That seems like a FOMO of a kind. Like, can you get FOMO about like, I don't love this person back. What am I missing out on? Yeah, that, that, that's a thing. It's the reason I think I'm convinced it's most of the reason why people are upset about so-called ghosting. It isn't just that, you know, that a person isn't responding to them. It's that the possibility space had, there's, there's no definitive answer. It hasn't been explored. And so they just get this perpetual closed mystery box that they, you know, blame on a different person. Yeah. Zero information is a, uh, is a difficult reality to face. Yeah. 
And on that note, thanks for being on. <laughs> sure. John, um, if this is something that you want out of your life, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I mean, I'm on the internet. Uh, as is my want, I will continue to drop cryptic hints. Yeah. Such as that my name is John and I live in Maryland. Maryland John. John Mystery. John John Mystery Maryland. Uh, those are some Google searches you could perhaps do. We're slowly um, developing the the alternate reality game about me. Yeah. Um, that, that that just that's how I'm that's how I'm running it. But I this is the future I want to live in, where like instead of social media, everybody just drops an arg about themselves, and you have to solve it in order to talk to them. That that's that's the reality. That I that I want to cultivate, but then you'd get into a really weird situation where people are like solving args and being like, "No, I didn't want to talk to you, but that was a cool arg, bro." Like that would yeah. suck. <laughs> yeah, all I wanted to do was tell you this arg is nice. I just wanted to finish your arg. I actually just wanted. I really just liked that one puzzle, but I had to solve the whole thing to tell you I liked it. Someone goes on a date with you just to say, "Yeah, I." I I didn't really want to have the date, but it was the final step in the arg. So, like, yeah, great job on that. Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just have to redesign the arg for them to have to marry you next. Now I have to rethink my entire life. Just on the fly, I will continue to up the stakes. Yes. It'll, it'll be fine. It'll result in... We all look forward to the next episode where you drop your next clue. Exactly. Might involve cool dogs. If you want to, if you want to like write in, you can write in and do a write in topic between episodes that you appear on and drop a hint in your write in question too. Oh my gosh. See, this is one of those things that sounds exciting that I don't want to do. <laughs> you want the communal experience of people finding out the, the John from Maryland story, but you don't actually want to participate yes. in it. Correct. <laughs> uh, uh, that. Perfectly encapsulated. Okay. Uh, and Nelson, uh, if this is something you want, how can people find you on the internet? You can find me at, at W-R-I-T Nelson on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at patreon.com slash strange scaffold, which is the name of my company. Because this episode is going to be coming out after tomorrow, I can say that uh, you can find me in the Dread X collection, which was announced over on Hollywood Reporter. Wow! Cool. Oh, exciting! Is this is this a, a scoop? Do we not know about this until tomorrow? It happens tomorrow. You're you're the second person to find out about it. Nice. Uh, and I will say, uh, in Maryland, it is tomorrow. Wow! Oh, so, oh man! So it's really only special for me. It's it's good to but consider just that maybe. The only two people that will know this announcement is just the folks on this podcast until the podcast come out and then it's just the people who listen to that podcast episode. I would like, I, yeah. I, I would really like this alternate reality in which absolutely nothing happens and people are just like, oh, Ryan Reynolds died. That was the news of the day. <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. 
You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.